We are, uh, as Darren, Darren mentioned, um, working on a, on a uh, kind of a five-week sweep uh, of uh, just conversation about relationships. Kind of a different feel than, than uh, normal on a Sunday morning. Uh, uh, more of a, of, a, of a teaching and conversational thing than uh, a, a sermon per se. And so if uh, in the course of what I'm saying, you feel that you want to push back or ask some questions or, or um, get clarification on what I've been talking about, you're more than welcome to do so, and I'll try and remember to create space for that. Um, but uh, last time we spent in Genesis 1 and 2, where, where we kind of unpacked or tried to look at what God had in mind <clears throat> when he invented men and women as, as co-equal uh, partners in being his image, the implications of that are, are, are stark and, and significant. And I think that the, the, the way that relationships between men, men and women have been so damaged and so fragmented and so, so, so wrecked in so many ways um, uh, as, as a kind of point of pain uh, for, for so many people uh, indicates that maybe God was onto something at the beginning and that the, the ways of restoration are, are critical for us. Um, so we came out of that conversation with a, an awareness, at least uh, hopefully we did, that, that God's intent for relationships is that they be, uh, have capacity to be the image of God, that in order for that to take place, mutuality is required, that uh, none of us have capacity for authority over one another, uh, that uh, it, it, it is therefore a relationship not of power over but of empowerment of, that we take the power that we were built for, the capacity that we were built for, and we use that to help others move into who they are and empower them. And then coming out of Genesis 2, that we were built for relationships of oneness, especially in, uh, in the concepts of marriage, uh, and then also for relationships of intimacy, even though that obviously involves marriage. Intimacy is not just about marriage. So... Um, and, and again, we use the language of intimacy even though that word has kind of gotten co-opted in our culture and ends up meaning being sexualized in some uh, unhealthy and unfortunate ways. I can't think of a better word to talk about what I think Genesis is after. That is that we, intimacy is to know and be known by, by one another. That we are invited into relationships of knowing and being known. So today I want to um, talk about uh, the five dimensions of intimacy that I see in Genesis chapter 2. Next week we'll talk about how God's system that we've talked about over the last two weeks or so have, has gotten broken and what the implications are for that. Following, Darren's going to talk about how God in Christ seeks to restore relational uh, brokenness to a place of wholeness. And then in the fifth week we'll talk about the various ways in which that works itself out in embracing singleness, in, in, in various kinds of relationships, and so on and so forth. Um, so the text um, is going to be Genesis chapter 2. We tried to work on some of this because some of the things that I'm going to be doing, uh, it would be helpful if you had some visualization of that, but between my, my, my Mac and, and this PC, our, our things aren't not talking well to each other. So you're going to have to use your imaginations this morning. Probably more effective than what I had anyway. Uh, so Genesis chapter 2, and we'll begin uh, kind of where we were last week. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly, just in the interest of time. Uh, but Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, 
begins with this. The Lord God formed the man from dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So that's the first, uh, first section that, that we want to look at, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, if you've got Bibles and you're following along, down to verse 18, uh, we get this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we get this statement that I suggested last week is a theological statement where the, God, where the Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. And remember from last week, not good is the, the opposite of what God says at the end of each creative day in Genesis chapter 1, namely that it is good or that it works, it's functional. So when he says it's not good for the man to be alone, he, it means this doesn't work. This is non-operational. This is not going to fulfill the function for which they were created. <clears throat> God's solution then was to say, I will make a helper, uh, an etzer, someone that, that has capacity to enable his being that is suitable or that corresponds to him. Something, someone that is the same but different than, than, than him. So the outcome as we go through this is uh, this whole story of God's forming um, uh, uh, animals and, and seeing if they would be suitable. Uh, but uh, you'll notice down here at the bottom of verse 19 that, it, uh, that whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Go ahead uh, to the next one. So down at the end of verse 20 here then, at the outcome of that, there was not found for the man a helper uh, as his partner. The point being, again, that um, the, the idea of suitability uh, is disabled when a person has authority over the other, and the naming was a, um, an exercise of authority. So that's where we were last time. The outcome then is that God took one of the, the sides from the man, even though it's translated usually rib, the idea is removed a side, formed from that side a, and a woman, and uh, brought her to the man. So we have now these two permanently incomplete beings that require another for oneness. Uh, and we see the recognition of that when he brings her to him. Um, the, the language is, is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Um, and if, um, yeah, go to the next verse, if you would, please. I'm, uh, we're working, making this up as we go along here uh, to verse 22 or 24, I mean. Uh, where where the one of the conditions that I want to look at for healthy relationships is can you can you do that good for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother will be united to his flesh and they will become one flesh so the kinds of things that are required for real relationships is uh, begins with differentiation it's called an individuation leaving home becoming a whole person apart from family of origin so that I can connect at a level of intimacy with another whole person. And, um, and, and that, that kind of is the flavor that, that we're trying to do here. All right? So that's kind of where we were last week. Let's go back to verse 7, if we can do that, please. Um, and, you'll, and, and this is kind of where I need you to use your visualization here. So God takes the dust of the earth, breathes into it the breath of life, and man becomes a living being, a living soul. So one more time, you, 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 you do not have a soul. You are a soul. A soul is a combination then of physical, dirt, and spiritual, the breath of God. Those two things in combination are what make a soul. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things that we can tease out from that as we go forward and, and will 
you know that we keep coming circling back and around things here, so we'll come back to that. But we are perfectly suited as a spiritual, material being for that thin space in which we live, right? We, we, we relate to the creation as, as caretakers, and we relate to God as his image, so we, we, we are built for what we are designed to do. Does, does that make sense? Now, out of those two things then, physical and spiritual, flow three other elements that go to make up what it means to be a soul. And you see this reflected in a number of other passages of Scripture, but I've synopsized them in this way. Physical and spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and social. Those are the five dimensions of, what it, of intimacy. Those are the ways that we know and are known by, by, other, by other persons. So whether it is in a relationship that eventuates in marriage or a friendship that is a 50 or 60 year doing life together friendship or, or whether it's, it's uh, a relationship uh, of pastor to, 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 or spiritual director to someone, uh, those are the ways that we interact with, that, can, that we connect with. We are built for relationships of intimacy in all five of those dimensions. And when one of those is missing, our capacity then to be who God has created us to be is disabled to that degree. Does that, does that make sense? Who were built for those, those five relationships of intimacy. Every one of those five dimensions has around it a boundary. Uh, and you've, you've probably heard language of boundaries and, and, and the establishment and the necessity of boundaries. And, and that's kind of... That's what differentiates the self, right? Because when I leave home and form a whole person, then there is a boundary where I end and you begin. The self is defined by boundary. Does that make sense? And if that boundary is non-existent or too permeable, then the self can't be known because there is no there there. Do you see? If you have a, have a vessel in which is liquid, if there is no vessel, there is no liquid. It's, it's a puddle. So in order to be known as a person, as a self, boundaries are healthy and appropriate. So now I get to choose as a whole self who gets in at any of those five dimensions. And the point, of course, of relationships is that not everybody gets in to all five dimensions. This is the way it was with Jesus. For example, you may have noticed that Jesus didn't let everybody in. John, John chapter 2, at the, end of the third, uh, at the end of the second chapter of John, he makes it clear. Not everybody who wanted to get close to him got close to him. Why? Because it's the nature of boundaries. You only have capacity for so much. Jesus, as a human being, had capacity for so much. And not everybody got in, even that wanted to. Because he knew why they wanted to get in. Do you see? The more secure and solid I am, having differentiated and become my whole person. Sorry about the, uh, all of the buzz language here, but this is how I'm trying to get at this. Um, it, is, it, the more solid I am as a person, the healthier I can be in real relationships. Because there's a there there. I'm less dependent on you to know who I am. I, I don't need you to be me. Do, do you see? Because I have a father who has set his love on me 
in whose eyes I am beloved, who knows and is known by me. Because God wants to know you in all five of those dimensions as well, right? So the early morning prayer of the Hebrew every morning was, Hear the Lord, hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, strength. They summarize it in, in four dimensions. I've just picked it up into the five. But it's the same basic, basic concept. So what this means is we are built, again, for relationships in all five of those dimensions. As we engage in relationship then, all five of these intimacies or one or two of them may be entered. Now, I want to focus this a little bit on, on relationships that move with some level of intentionality towards marriage and see if this makes some sense for you. Because the first, the, the way we enter into relationship is through the lower, if I can use that language, the lower two intimacies, which are social and intellectual. Social intimacy and intellectual intimacy. Social intimacy is uh, shared activities, shared interests, shared roles, perhaps a valuing. When, I'm, when you engage in a relationship with somebody, maybe with some level of intentionality towards um, uh, a dating relationship or towards marriage or after you're married, uh, because those two levels, the social and intellectual intimacies, are the friendship intimacies that survive all of the other difficulties and make them safe. So hopefully, in a marriage that is, has a transforming intimacy, we are continuing to work on social and intellectual intimacies long past the, 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 the start of our marriage into the 40th and 50th and 60th year of our relationship with someone, right? Because friendship, those two, two key things, those are, the one, those are the long-term ones. Those are how we resolve conflict. Those are, those are the areas at which we, we fight and learn to fight fair. When I disagree with you, I don't dismiss you. I learn how to value and honor how you think about something and create space for that in my world. If I can't convince you without manipulation of a different perspective, a different point of view, we may have, some, we may have to figure out how socially to continue to walk together with somebody with whom we have some disagreements. If, if the only way you and I can walk together is if we are in full and total agreement on everything, one of us isn't necessary. Right? We, we're, we're, we're limited. The truth, every couple has between five and ten irreconcilable differences. Sit with that for a sec. Every couple has between five and ten irreconcilable differences. You may have noticed in the news that irreconcilable differences get cited frequently as the reason for divorce. Right? So what happens when person A gets divorced from person B and then marries person C? What does person A and C discover? They have between five and ten irreconcilable differences now with somebody else. Do you see? So what is marriage about? Marriage is about learning to live in an intimate relationship with somebody who's not you. Right? And that has a number of implications for it. The gift of otherness is that it takes two of us to be one. So I have to have left home. I have to have, uh, different, I have, to have become myself, 
right, as beloved and precious, and then I choose to engage in a relationship, first of all at friendship, social and intellectual intimacies with somebody who's not like me, and learn how to let her or him in and know me at a, at a, at a pace that I can also get to know him or her at a relational level, right? And that continues to develop, it continues to grow over, over the course of the relationship. Here's what ends up happening, however. Often, especially in our highly sexualized culture, relationships that begin safely at friendship quickly become sexualized, or quickly become spiritualized, or quickly become emotionalized. That is to say, we are letting people cross boundaries with us before they have earned the right to cross those boundaries. Does that make sense? And the outcome of that is a kind of false intimacy that disables the building of the foundational intimacies that are necessary for long-term relationship. Because long-term relationship is not built at emotional, spiritual, or sexual, or physical intimacy. By the way, again, let me point out, physical intimacy is not the same thing as sexual intimacy. Physical intimacy... Uh, sexual intimacy is only one small part of physical intimacy. And in fact, if sexual intimacy becomes the center of the target of any relationship, the rest of the relationship tends not to work very well. Because it's not intended to be the center of the target. It's intended to be built on a foundation of these other five intimacies, because that and, and then framed by covenant, Right? Otherwise, it will disable and, dis and damage relationships in which it has been introduced apart from those intimacies. Does that make sense? Anybody have any questions so far? How are you, how are you all doing? I feel like the Energizer Bunny. Go. Right. Thank you. I'm, uh, I mentioned that last week, and I forgot to do it this time. I did it in the first service. There's a difference between naming, exercising authority over, and calling, which is a recognition. So the, the language of calling here is simply a recognition that she is me, but in feminine form. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that clarification. Good. Anybody else? So what happens then as, as a couple moves forward towards this in, in relationship, and, and while I realize that looking over the crowd here, probably the majority of us are, are at different places in this, but I want to start to kind of build on this because this is then how, 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 it, how, how marriages work in transforming intimacy, which is why God invented marriage in the first place. He intends marriage to be a reflection of his love for the world that is covenantal, Somebody asked me at the, at, the, at the last service, and I thought it was a helpful question, so I'm going to take a minute and talk about the difference between covenant and contract. Covenant and contract. Contract is a bilateral agreement in which I agree to do certain things if you do certain things, and in which you agree to do certain things if I do certain things. I have to keep up my end of the bargain in order to hold you accountable for your end of the bargain. Covenant, on the other hand, is based on the character of the covenanter, the one who makes covenant, and says, regardless of how you do, regardless of how you act, I am going to act towards you in a certain way. Do you see? So God doesn't make contract with us. He makes covenant. 
with us. He acts towards us always out of his character, not in response to ours. If I am in line with covenant, I receive the character of God as blessing and, and privilege, right? If I am out of alignment or if I am in disagreement with covenant, I receive that very same character as curse, as oppositional. Do you see? It's a difference. If, if for example, you are, uh, if, if you can think about this in, in, a, in, a, in a swift flowing stream, if you think of covenant as being that stream, and I'm in a canoe, if I am in agreement with covenant, I am taking advantage of, of the force of that stream to move me down, downstream. I'm still going to have maybe some, some rough water and so on and so forth, but in general, I'm going to take advantage of that. If I, uh, if I turn my canoe around and start to head back upstream, that very same stream will be perceived by me as oppositional to me. But the stream hasn't changed direction. The stream acts out, if you will, of its flow, out of its character, right? I get to choose whether it's affirmational or confrontational to me. Does that make sense? So that, and, and it is that kind of arrangement where I bind myself to my husband or my wife that makes sexual intimacy possible and safe without damaging the other intimacies that are in, engaged or involved. Um, this, by the way, is really critical uh, as you move in marriage as well. Because sexual intimacy in marriage is built on health and the other five intimacies. This is one of the primary things that separates sexual intimacy in marriage from sexual involvement. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm, try, I'm not using the word intimacy before marriage because intimacy is not the right word to use apart from that covenantal community. In fact, when I walk with people in marriage issues, if there are sexual issues at all involved, my primary form of approach is to say, how are we doing in the other five intimacies? Because that's, that's byproduct almost. That's, that's icing on the cake that's built on these other intimacies. So a relationship that begins at high my name is and moves towards a capacity for emotional intimacy through these emo, uh, uh, social and intellectual spaces usually takes somewhere between six and nine months of intentional friendship building before you and I are at a place where I can trust you with my heart i.e. emotional intimacy. And if we, if we do an end run around that, if we move that too quickly, uh, and, and sometimes circumstances require that, right? But if we do that too quickly, then we have to backfill the friendship. Let me back up a little bit. I realized I didn't do this really well. Social intimacy is uh, shared activities, shared behaviors, shared, uh, shared values, uh, kind of a, a, a sociocultural environment in which I have a place with you. It doesn't mean that we have to be the same. It means that I'm willing to be known and known of you. So when I'm walking with couples on this, forgive this, but I want to say, um, do, you, do you like each other? Uh, are you friends? Do, do you enjoy doing similar kinds of things together? Those are not for nothing. Now, we can do a lot without a lot of that stuff, but, but you've got to understand that's going to cost you something. Do you like how your gender is treated in his or her family? Do you like, if you're, do you like how she treats her father? Do you like how he treats his mother? 
Do you like how women or men are treated in the system? That's social intimacy. Intellectual intimacy is uh, an honoring and a valuing of the way and the what people think. The way people think is how they arrive at conclusion, how they come to decision. The what people think is the conclusion they come to. Do you see? And it's not that they agree with me. It's not that, that we have to think the same on everything. It's that can I make space in my life for somebody who doesn't think about things or arrive at the same conclusions that I do? Is there space for that? So if I'm a lifelong Republican, can I make space in my life for somebody who's a lifelong Democrat who just thinks differently about things than I do? That's emotional, or that, that's intellectual intimacy. Um, another example, uh, typically in a marriage, one of the partners will think linearly, and the other will likely think globally. This is really shorthand, but to make the point, Judy, for example, and I think the same about nothing, my wife and I. You, any, any topic, and she will be on one side, pretty much any topic, she'll be on one side and I'm on, on the other. And, and part of the thing is, it's not just what she thinks, it's the way that she thinks about what she thinks that drives me absolutely nuts. Because it doesn't make any sense to me. Can you guess which of us is the linear thinker? Right? Because I think A plus B equals C. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of straight line, build on the logic, make the case, marshal all of the facts and the data. That's why I went to school for 83,000 years. And, and I'm married to somebody who graduated from high school who can outthink me in a second in the middle of a conversation because she doesn't think the same way that I think. Right? Uh, so I'm A plus B equals C, and Judy is A and green and Switzerland and... <laughs> Um, Yugoslavia and, 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 I mean, you know, and then X. How did you get there? Right? Now, here's the deal. What do I want now to do? I want to persuade her to the superiority of my way of thinking. Now, the truth is a, lot, a global thinker can train themselves. It really hurt, hurts their head. But they can train themselves to think linearly. But a, a linear thinker will never think globally. They just don't know how to, do, how to do that. Green in this conversation makes no sense at all. Can we leave it off the table? No, it's how I arrived at conclusion. The other problem is globals don't often know how they get there. Can I get a witness? All right, thank you. All right, so, so, so what, what, now here's the deal. What do I want to say? She's wrong. Because she doesn't think the same way that I do. Here's the problem. I discovered this after 25 years of marriage. I am a slow learner. She's right 85% of the time on just about everything. And she doesn't know how she knows it. She just does. What am I going to do with that? Well, for 25 years, I wanted to push back against that. Get this woman in line. At least... Talk to me in language that I can understand. Right? No. Finally, about 10 years ago, I figured out I have been given an enormous gift. Here is somebody who doesn't think the same way I do about anything at all and is right at least 85% of the time 
why don't I just roll the dice on her? Instead of trying to continually argue her into a better way of thinking when hers is clearly superior at least 85% of the time. Does that make sense? So, like, I need maps. I don't really like GPS at all, but I like maps. I like maps with detailed directions with street names. Judy navigates by color, shape, and which way the wind is blowing in the trees, perhaps the sound of the birds. Right? So, so, so we could, this has happened to us. We have been dropped down into a, into a place. I forgot my map. And I'm panicking, you know, it's like, who do I call? Um, my son has an iPhone, um, so he has Google Maps. Jan, tell me how to get unlost and, 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 and no cell phone connection, right? So, so what do I do? And she says, I think we should turn left here. <laughs> and now, 25, nothing. Now, okay. And within five or ten minutes, two or three turns, all of which are navigated by something coming from outer space, <laughs> we end up where we're supposed to be. Now, how does that happen? And how stupid would I be not to create space in my life for somebody who doesn't think the same way that I do? Right? That's intimacy at the intellectual level. And now, since I have honored that over the last few years, I have been given permission to carry her heart emotional intimacy in ways that the first 25 years of our marriage simply were unavailable to me. Does that make sense? So we build on the foundation, we earn the right to be trusted, and then over time uh, we, we move into spiritual and physical, finally, framed by covenant, sexual intimacy. Right? Uh, and this, this, is, this is an ongoing process. Like I said, it takes somewhere between six and nine months. And, uh, uh, to build that core friendship level. Every time I say that, I often have people say, six to nine months, are you kidding? Slow for me is sleeping on the third date. True, true, true conversation. Do you see what happens when you sexualize a relationship that quickly? You disable that relationship for longevity. It has no, almost no capacity for real relationship in, 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 in the future. So, so, so I've, never had, I've, never, I've never had anybody push back and say, um, I, I, I wish we'd move physically faster than we did. I've had tons of people saying, I wish we'd slowed down physically. I wish we hadn't pushed those boundaries quite so fast. I wish we had saved the best for a season when we could sustain it. Because here's the truth. You either have fairly substantial sexual involvement before you're married, or you have fairly substantial and growing sexual relationship after you're married. Hardly ever both. So you get to choose. Great sexual relationship for 50 or 60 years, or fireworks for three to six months. Anybody want to think about it? My money's on this. Here's the problem. This kind of sexuality is entirely different than this. This is about intimacy, socially, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and then sexually. It builds over time on that relationship. This is about sex, not about love, not about intimacy, but almost basically biological function and adrenalinized. This isn't about adrenaline. 
This is about intimacy and relationship. So that's why we say, let, let, let's build a friendship until the boundaries are well enough established that I am honored and valued by you enough to trust you with my heart, enough to trust you with my spirit, enough to trust you finally with my body. Do you see? And we get in, now, now I, I recognize, um, given, given the nature of our community here, there are people who have been married for a long time, people who have been married and divorced and remarried again, various people at various different stages and places in, in your relationships. So this, even though I'm talking about this in some fairly narrow places, I, th I hope that you're able to start to see how this works itself out in the patterns of relationships in which you find yourself. Because the truth is, this is how we grow in intimacy, whether we've been married for 50 years or five minutes or not at all. This is how we grow in intimacy, whether we intend to marry or not. We're built for intimacy in five dimensions. So whether you're married or not, this is what wholeness looks like. Now clearly, physical intimacy can't always be about sexual intimacy. There's only one relationship protected by covenant in which that is safe and possible. So I, I, am, I, am, I am frustrated, angered would probably be a word, uh, the way the enemy has, has, has created an environment in which, in which we consistently sexualize relationships between men and women. Uh, and it's tragic because we lose capacity for intimacy that is safe and necessary because it instantly turns sexual. Every woman that I've talked to has a sense of her being evaluated when she walks into a room. She knows what that feels like. There are a few women that don't have a sense of that, but by far the majority have a discernment. They recognize that, that, that in almost every male eye in the room, there's a one to 10 scale somewhere. Isn't that tragic? That that then conditions how we talk, how we relate, how we value and are valued by. And of course, many women have figured out, fine, I'm going to play the game better than you. And they use their sexual power to manipulate outcomes. In other words, a resexualizing of the relationship in the opposite direction. The outcome of that we have lost capacity for intimacy at core levels. Friendship, 50, 60 year friendships that are non-sexual between men and men, women and women, men and women, couples, that's the foundation of transformational intimacy that I believe God has built us for. That's what community is. And it is painful, it is messy, it is difficult, and it is alive but hard work. You with me? Part of the reason Darren and I decided we wanted to do this conversation um, is because we would like the garden to become a place of transforming intimacy. We would like relationships, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, um, persons who have been called and by God to singleness and have embraced that, Persons who are single without necessarily having been called and are trying to sort out what the implications of that are for their following of Jesus, uh, young and old alike, what would it look like for us to be a community 
of transforming intimacy in a world that sexualizes virtually every relationship and the ones that it doesn't sexualize, it monetizes. We turn people into commodities for our advantage. This cannot be what God had in mind when he invented men and women, when he invented the human community. He wants us to be his image. So what will that look like for us? The one thing I want to say in conclusion is this. I've recognized, given the fact that we are a broken people with broken stories, uh, Elena referred to, uh, alluded to that a, a little bit earlier. Um, this, what I've been talking about here is the ideal. I get that. But we serve a God who is endlessly redemptive, who can take the things that we have broken, who can take relationships that have already gone too far and help us to recalibrate and rebuild the foundations, even in marriages that I've walked with that have, have begun on shaky terms, have been able to go back and rebuild by the grace of God uh, in, in ways that are endlessly transformative then to their, to their children, to their neighbors, to their family, to their communities. All things are possible as we submit all of our whole person. Because remember, God wants to know you in these five ways too. He wants us surrendered to him in these five, five, five dimensions, loving him with heart, soul, mind, strength, everything we are. So I'm going to invite you just as we conclude this morning. We want to take a few minutes um, and just uh, uh, give you a space uh, to, to, to pray together. I'd like to pray for you. Uh, Jamie's going to come back up and, and, and we're going to conclude. Uh, it might be that you want to find your way to the uh, crosses. Uh, we'll have prayer, prayer folks at, 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 at either of those places. And, and you might have heard the voice of the Spirit say to you, um, A, this is why things have gone sideways for you in some of your relationships. And B, I want much better for you and I'm prepared and willing to work with you in the partnership of that. The Holy Spirit does that kind of thing, and we want to create space for you to invite him uh, to do that for you. So let's bow our heads in, in a word of prayer, and, and as we conclude and, and, and we move into the next part of the service, um, if you have, have a, a sense of God's addressing you on some of these things, and I can pray for you just as we conclude, uh, I'm just going to ask you just real quick to, to raise your hand right where you are, uh, and, and uh, I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah. Thank you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lord Jesus, there's a bunch of us. Um, my hand, too. We recognize that some of the decisions we've made, some of the relationships we've engaged in, uh, became emotional or spiritually charged or sexually charged way too soon and damaged the foundation. Lord, some of us just want to go back and start over again, whether it's even in our marriages or in relationships that we're in now, maybe with a new person at the, at the, as that opportunity comes. Uh, but Lord, uh, we, we've got broken hearts, we've got broken souls, and we need your healing. And so I pray that as we've raised our hands, raised our hearts, raised our souls before you, Lord, that you would speak peace and wholeness, shalom, into the brokenness that you will help us to recognize uh, the healing that you are beginning to do. Give us courage, Lord, as we engage in new relationships to take the time necessary to build a foundation well in the power of your Spirit 
to defend the boundaries that are appropriate for health. I pray, Lord, that you would give us strategies of health and wholeness on this. Teach us how friendship works and how to be a friend as we build forward in Jesus' name.